tell the damn stories, summer seasons with special guest stars, cussing games, and Tony Jackson. How's everybody Tony, doing? Tony, Tony, Tony. And me. Yes, yes, yes. Me, me, me. <laughs> hey, Chris, how you doing? Good to wow, see you. Good to doing? see you. And yes, folks, I can't see him. And Cassine, how you doing, boy? I'm great. How are you? Yeah, you sounded. <laughs> no, <I'm... laughs> <laughs> Long Tony, time no Tony. see, fellas. Long time no see. We got here. We, Tony are in the we got second Tony. week of July. Tony's enjoying like Tony. our summer series. <laughs> Tony. Yes, Tony is <laughs> in the interim. Tony has moved to Florida, as we can see. There's there's a plant behind him. That's and right. Be moving closer, Tony. I'm I'm a little nervous about. He's, that's <laughs> right. That that would be more of the scenes. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, I'm the living plants. Uh, yeah. You know, Tony, we got to call him Tropical Tony this episode. L- little Shop of Hearts. Feed <coughs> me, Seymour. Right. That's we right. Talk a lot of stuff in pre-production, folks. So you should hear those conversations, but we're not recording ever. The outtakes will never see the light of day. <laughs> All right, but what will see the light of day, ladies and gentlemen, is our second episode, our second installment of the How to Tell the Damn Story summer series. And today we're talking about discipline. Getting the ass in the chair. How to get there and do the work. Ladies and gentlemen, um, we seem to have, uh, is Cassine okay? There was a little kind of. Yeah. You good? A little, a little warning on Cassine's screen there, but okay. Um, okay. But anyway, how to get the butts in the seat you were saying, Chris? No, how to get your butt in your seat and get the work done. This is about discipline, ladies and gentlemen. So what we'd like to do first is uh, talk to uh, our panel about how to go from inspiration to work. What does that discipline mean? How, how do you do that? Let's start with uh, Kasim Game. Who? Oh, yes, Kasim. <laughs> Oh boy, how do I go from? I mean, that's a that's a hard question. That's the biggest question. Um, uh, you go. Um, I start by walking to my computer, and um, <laughs> I think the biggest thing, I guess, is trying to figure out what is the story. You know, like an idea is just an idea, but there needs to be. You know, this is of course tell the damn story after all. Um, so there has to be there has to be some sort of story there, and there has to be some sort of characters and drama and and tension and all of that. And so um, the first thing that I probably do is try and figure out what I think the peaks and valleys are of a story. And sometimes that's hard to figure out. You know, sometimes it's just like, there's an idea, you know, and you don't really, I mean, a a good example, this isn't my story, but like a, a great idea, which isn't necessarily a great story in and of itself is, the, the germ of the idea that inspired Back to the Future, right? Which is this idea that what if you could go back to high, what if you were in high school at the same time as your parents? I mean, that's just, that's just a thought, you know? So how do you take that thought and manifest it into a story? Um, I think that's the hardest part, but once you sort of crack that nut, I think it's, it's easier to sort of figure out, uh, you know, what goes next. Yeah, I, well, I, I have... I'm just gonna say I would have to agree with Cassine. That's that's actually perfect. What were, what were you gonna say, Chris? No, I was gonna turn. I was gonna uh, toss it to you. So oh, you did well. Okay. Yeah. You know. Well. You know. You're right. Uh, how how do I get butt and seed? How do I get started on the work? You know. And it's funny how we emphasize the word the work. 
You know, as if everything else before that was fun. Now this is the work. And and in some cases, that's the case. It is the work. Um, it, it depends really on the project for me. I, I wish I could say I have this very locked-in habit that, that works every single time, but it, it, it doesn't. Um, sometimes if, if it's an assignment and I know I have a certain amount of time, I feel that kind of, in, you know, uh, push, uh, inspiration, uh, drive, threat, whatever you want to call it. I've got a certain amount of time to accomplish X. As uh, people who listened to the last episode, uh, Cassini talked about having four hours to come up with a particular article that he had to come up with and write and turn in. And so I think, you know, sometimes you just go sit down because you have to, because you know that it has to get done in a certain period of time. Other times for me, it's, it's not always a good thing, but sometimes it's, it's playing with the idea in my head until I get to the point where something explodes, something goes, start writing, quick, 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 quick. And do, do we need to call a doctor? Uh, no, <laughs> thank you. Medication, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it, it it really just pops, you know, and you you feel this rush, and you've got to grab, you know, whether it's pen and paper or you know, I sit down to a keyboard. I know some people can do it on their phones. No, uh, but I sit down to a keyboard, or I will do the thing with Google Doc, where I'll open that up, hit the microphone, and I'll start dictating it. But I've got to get it out. I have to. And I don't worry about the perfect words. And I don't worry about run-on sentences and all that. I just got to get it out. So I think sometimes it's about force, knowing you have a deadline, you have to do this. And if you're disciplined enough, you go do what you have to do. And sometimes it's because the inner urge just pushes you, shoves you, throws you into that chair and says, please, quick, get this out because we're, we're, we're exploding here. And it has to it has to land on paper. Four quick points. Let's see if I can get them. Number one, um, I'm a big believer in index cards and writing your ideas down. And for me, I carry them around everywhere. And that's getting to point two, uh, the Chuck Dixon uh, uh, rule, right? Chuck Dixon was a, a writer of uh, uh, Batman stories and The Punisher for Marvel and writer of novels. And one of his things was, listen, you can be writing when you're not writing. He's not going to be mowing the lawn, but I'm still writing. I'm always working on it. And what I do is um, I like the index cards. It, it may be old school, but I have a lot more flexibility with it, right? The idea is to try and get too many index cards. That's the game. You get too many index cards, you get too many ideas, and then you get, I, for me, I like to get up, you know, before the rest of my family, um, and then it's a, a cup of tea and the, the biggest table or surface I can find, and then we play putting them in order. And when I can see that the story is there, then I feel like I can start, and you have that crutch. That kind of gets me smoothly from inspiration to discipline. Didn't you um, say? I'm sorry. I just went. Didn't you say there was a writer who does something in her head, like oh, that? Joyce Carol Oates. Yeah, Joyce Carol Oates does it. She she she's a runner, so she runs and sees the visual version of the story, like it, like she was watching a movie, and she doesn't write a word. She's always writing projects, right? She's got more books out than than God, actually. God was a little jealous the other day. Um, but, but she'll be the, she'll be writing one during the day, but when she goes jogging, she's thinking about the next one, and she envisions it from beginning to end, 
And she doesn't write a word of it until she can watch it, watch the film of it in her mind from beginning to end with no glitches. So say she's running in the first week and she gets uh, a glitch, that run is going to work out that glitch, you know? And then she continues on uh, until it's smooth and then she writes. Um, the last thing I wanted to say about the discipline is many, many writers say write every day because it's easier to get your butt in the chair if it's something you do every day. Full disclosure, uh, you know, some of my writing sometimes is the index cards, you know, or a quick note uh, on the, the phone that I transfer to an index card. Sitting at the desk every day is not, a, I'm not 100% there, but I'm always writing every day or always thinking, and that's the process. That's the work to get from inspiration to discipline. You got to do it, even if you're scrolling it down. Tony Jackson, how do you go from inspiration to discipline? How do you get from, ah, to I'm writing or I'm saying? Well, that's interesting to even ask you. Uh, do you write all your rhymes down or you do it verbally? Or how's it work for you? Tony is doing, he's doing sign language, but it's a podcast, so he's going to have to... He's going to have to articulate. Tony Jackson trying to I'm give telling me an you, what was that Twilight Zone episode? Yeah. The gremlin on the plane? Are you a little bit? Keep talking. Okay, you got me. You got me. Okay. Right, okay. Bro. So, um, no, no, I, I, I do write every day. I write a little bit every day. Um, but, um, and it, it might just be on a napkin. It might be, a, it might be literally be two words that rhyme. It might just be something that's happening. Um, um, when I, whenever something sparks, though, it could be. Um, it, it, I don't know if it's going to, if it's something that wants to exist as a poem. I don't know if it's something that wants to exist as a story. So I try to, um, I try to, I try to get it down how I hear it or how I see it. I don't know if that makes sense. So, um, if, for instance, I have a, a, a story in my head right now, um, about, uh, a, a boy and a wolf. And, um, every time I go to get down my ideas, all I do is sketch. So I, I haven't, I haven't written much down because until I can, until I can see that concretely, see who those characters are that way, the rest is, the rest is, is not coming from me. Um, yeah. And that, that's not how it works all the time, but in, in this instance. And so I try to be fair with myself in knowing that sometimes it will come out you know, one way, sometimes it will come out in another way. And so, but, but I, I'm, I, I do have a notebook with me all the time. I have a notebook with me. I have, uh, I just invested in new styluses. So, you know, when I'm using like procreate on my phone and I can sketch something down there, um, I still love paper and pencil. Um, so yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Um, so I, I would suggest that, um, what I inter what I wouldn't suggest, but what when I sit and I don't get the writing done on a particular scene or a particular, I feel like I haven't done enough work on that. So then I will do um, biographical sketch or uh, what ifs about the two characters or three characters, whoever's in there, um, and write that way. You know, you can even here's another one. If if you can't get into a scene, this is maybe or, or a rhyme for you, but. Um, Sometimes I'll write about what I should be writing and mm -hmm. kind of get that block out and then you get into the story because as, uh, uh, as Cassine would say, you just take that first thing and chuck it out, right? 
get rid of that beginning and then you have your stuff. Um, I do want to talk about each part of the process, right? Um, so we're going to get to beginnings, middles, ends, and rewrites, but before that. Use a word for my response. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> before that, we have to talk about a monster. Go ahead. We have to talk about a creature that gets us all. That's the procrastination monster. How do you deal? And how do you recognize? Because, you know, procrastination could be just a little seductress, you know? And I'm not procrastinating, but these books really need to be reorganized. You know, it's something <laughs> like that. How do you recognize? How do you put yourself in check and go back and get yourself into the work? Uh, let's start with uh, the professor, Alex. Oh, am I the professor now? You know, where's Ginger? Just, just for this can't. question. That's it. So <laughs> yeah. we're going to call someone else the professor later. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Um, full transparency here. Uh, as a senior member of this, this, this team, I can honestly say that's a battle I still uh, wage. Uh, I am not always on point with that at all and uh, have, have really worn out several good pairs of shoes kicking my own butt. Because, you know, uh, there are, you know, there are personal things sometimes that pop up, you know, because no matter how much fun you may be having being a creative, uh, sometimes life goes, really? Watch this, small avalanche. Um, so there are times that things I should have been working on got delayed. There are times when there's a mental block. Don't know what the heck it is. Can't see it. It's like being a blind man in a dark room. But, you know, ultimately... One of the things that happens is I give myself permission to procrastinate for a certain period of time. Yeah, I have to say, all right, I don't know what's not working. I don't know what it's doing. Let me go do something else. Let me let me go. Uh, as a matter of fact, my, my, one of my sons uh, has a, a video game. And so I allow myself, I'll go in and I'll play beat the crap out of somebody for a few minutes. You let that, that adrenaline do its thing, and then I go, okay, back to work. I don't get sucked into, oh, I got no, five more rounds. No, one round, two rounds. Uh, thank, that was wonderful. Thank you. And, I, and I'm walking back in in a different frame of mind, and sometimes that's the trick right there. Uh, you other, heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Alex is simple, secretly violent. Yeah. At 11. And again, sometimes it's I'll do something creative on a completely other level. I'll go cook something. I'll, I'll draw, I'll do something else, you know, because my mind is saying, no, you, you can't, you can't write now, you can't write right now, you're not creative right now. Really, really, well, watch this, and I'll do something else and sneak up on it again. You know? mm -hmm. So sometimes it's about recognizing for some reason, I can't step to this now, give myself permission to back off for a little bit of time, but you, you cannot let it be two, three, four, five more days. It's gotta be a set period of time, then try again, set period of time, then try again. Because again, if you're dealing with a deadline, that's one thing. It's got to be in because other people are depending on you. If you're dealing with a personal project, then to me, and I don't know if it's like this with the rest of you guys, sometimes if you don't consistently work on a thing that's important to you, you start to convince yourself it's not that important. You start to lose that energy. You start to lose that connection to the concept, to the theme, whatever it is. And suddenly it's several months later and you guys start that long, dry walk back to hopefully find this yeah. you dropped yeah. and pray it's not lost. Uh, I'll add to that that um, sometimes the life life gets in the way. You know, yesterday um, 
one of our cats just disappeared. We had no idea where it was. And um, uh, we thought he got out and would never see him again. And this lasted for the, almost the whole day. Um, we searched the entire house multiple times, including the garage. And, and when he said about we, four people. Four people searching the house. And then a couple of girlfriends came over. Uh, not mine. <laughs> this is my only one. But the sons, their girlfriends came over and helped. Everyone's looking, right, and all that sort of stuff. And um, and then the goddess was in the back again, and she she checked the garage one more time, and and he came walking out like nothing was up, like hey, what's up, how you been, you know? And that the the, the surprising level of emotion that you know that was attached to that drained me away from um, writing, right? So. It was kind of an inadvertent procrastination, but I lied myself back into it. And that's what I'm trying to bring up. It, I said to myself, all right, yeah, I'm too tired to do what I had planned to do. But you know what? I'm just going to get through the first page. You know, and I find that sometimes when you really shrink down what you're going to do, it'll get you in. And once you're in and working, then you always do a little more work. All right. Tony I, 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 I got to quickly say one. this. I got to quickly say this. You're telling story. You're telling about the cat and everything. And I did a what if in my head. I mean, like envision the cat sitting in whatever little hideaway it had, watching you people search for it. And go, well, what? all four of us, all walk four right four by. us was in the garage. We're in the garage at one point. You know, the fellas were down. You know, looking under the Mustang and all this different stuff. They were all, and you know, he could be like. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right, I'll wait a little longer. Wait a little longer, and then the goddess comes in. No one's gonna mess with the goddess, so he's all right. I'll, I'll come out. Yeah, because she feeds. So, you know, so Tony, place. Tony, talk about it. What's yeah. what's the transfer like for you, man? Uh, so it's it's different for me uh, depending on what I'm working on, and uh, but but similar to similar to what, what's been said, um, I I do have to embrace if uh, I have to em embrace the uh, the procrastination and. If I need a moment to step away, just like Alex was saying, whether it's you know cooking something, uh, whether it's drawing. Last night, I, uh, I I got a new video game. Now I I neglect my video games so much. I rarely ever get a chance to play. Um, but I saw a game that had a, a great story, and that struck me. And I said, okay, you know what? I want to check this out. I played, and then I fell asleep. Um, but what I did with uh, when I I redid, I'm Jack, I'm Black which is a children's book, I, I had the whole vision in my head and the whole thing came together. So I knew what I wanted to do illustratively. Um, I knew what I wanted to do with the story. I, I knew how I wanted to construct it. And I actually did that. Uh, I actually set my schedule very strictly. And I had a notebook that I was working with so that every morning I woke up, I wrote down what I wanted to accomplish that day. Uh, let me backtrack. I'll, I'll go to the beginning of the week. And I would say, this is what I want to have done by the end of this week. I want to finish this many pages. I want to have uh, all of the illustrations at least cut out because, you know, it was uh, cut out uh, from paper. I want to have all of the revisions done that I, that I need to. I want to, and, you know, and I set that up for myself and that helped me completely. So within 50 days, within 50 days, it was, it was all done because I stuck very strictly to it. And it, it kept me from procrastinating because I knew when I sat down, I said, okay, I'm going to take an hour's worth of time that I have here. Um, and I would now, and this is where it, it you know, we say life happens. I, my routine was that I would go to Starbucks and I would go to Starbucks, which now 
I can't go to for many reasons. You know, one, COVID. <laughs> two, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter. Like, it's whatever it is, um, you know, that was my go-to. And, I, you know, my wife was, you know, was awesome with it. And she would say, okay, you need to take your time. Go. Take this many hours. And I would just get my, get my work done there. So for me, it, uh, I say all that to say, it also has a lot to do with movement. I have to get up and move somewhere else. I can't be in the same place. I know that I can't get work done sitting on my couch because it's too it's too comfortable and I will fall asleep. My wife will attest to that. Um, I have to work somewhere where it is um, it's still it's quiet. I even have music that I need to have on, and I know I can't play this album when I'm trying to work yeah. because you know what I mean. I'll, I'll I'll listen. I'll say, oh man, I'll start bobbing. No, it has to be right now. It's Kamazi Washington. I put on the Epic by Kamazi Washington. I listen to it all two discs and I listen to the whole thing straight through and I can work without stopping. So when I have the time, I try to manage my time. That's, that's, that's usually what it is. For, that's what it has been cool. for me. I have a comment and a question to, when I grow to up, expand I what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> one, I, I find, especially as I get older, you know, I mean, Alex has got the, the market cornered on age, but you know, I am 580 yeah, years old. I'm Nothing not like Alex, on. but I am 580. Uh, as I get older, I find that um, when I'm writing, when I'm really seriously writing, I can't listen to music with lyrics. You know, yep. other people say they just like King, King, you know, turns it up right. loud and all that stuff. But if it's lyrics, then uh, one way or the other, it, you know, even when I was writing about, you know, a, a story um, uh, about the protest and all that stuff, I had the lyrics in front of me, but I couldn't listen to the song. You know, I would yeah. listen to it before, you know, whatever I was doing before I said to get the feel and the texture of it. But when I'm, it's, it's very strange. Secondly, I wanted to talk, ask you one further question, and then I'm going to back off. And I think uh, Alex has something for you. You have another uh, uh, just fantastic uh, distraction, and that is the beautiful, beautiful Jilly. How, how do you pull yourself away? I had a hard time when the kids were small. I would get up at three or four to get yeah. my writing done before they woke up. How do you do it, man? Uh, <laughs> that's where I am. Uh, I, you know, I wake up, I wake up anywhere, you know, from five to five thirty usually. And when I do that, I have, <laughs> I have peace for, for a little while. So I try, I try to be as productive as possible. And, you know, when I mentioned the schedule that I had for myself, when I was going, you know, using my notebook and had my, you know, my work schedule, I would, I would know 5.30, I wake up, I'm going to make my shake. Um, I, I would do a devotional. I have my shake. Um, sometimes I would work out. And, you know, because I can utilize that th four hours of time and it just, you know, it's, it's like magic. You know, Danielle sleeps and she's also stays up late. If I stay up late, um, if I try to stay up late, I know I can't work. Um, so Jillian usually would, would get up right around the time that I was finishing. Now it's, it's harder. It's definitely harder now because, um, that, you know, thing, things are, are totally disjointed. And so sometimes she'll wake up earlier. Sometimes she'll wake up a little later. Um, to clarify, I, is that because she's growing up or are we talking about, is that a COVID reference? Uh, you know what? It, it's largely COVID, um, because mm -hmm. we may, we, you know, Danielle may be up later or she may be. Um, we may not get Jillian down for a while. Um, right. but for the, for the most part, I try to, I try to bring her into things. So right. sometimes I'll, I'll sketch with her. You know, if I know that I'm not going to be able to do writing, I will take out a big pad and I'll see, you know, I'll ask her what she wants to draw. 
And, you know, she has the most awesome, crazy out there ideas. And that will be like a a great little session for me. It it may not be work that's done towards the goal that I had set, but it, it lets me get some of that creative energy out. Um, and yeah, and, and then other than that, it just becomes how we can organize our time so that I can have, you know, a little bit in there. I, I, I got to just jump in very quickly. Um, you just said that wonderful thing about drawing with Jillian. And I want to mention that in terms of, you know, sometimes giving yourself permission to X. Uh, there's another artist I know named Mark, uh, Mark Mariano, did that with his son. He and his wife would sit and draw and and play with their son, and he would get to set what it is they were doing. And he had this toy set, I'm not gonna go into a whole thing, that he would play with and make up all these stories, because he has this wild, crazy, you know, little guy imagination. And Mark just started drawing what he would suggest. And now it's a book. Yeah, I love it. Story told by a kid. And it's as out there as you can get, but it's wonderful once filtered through dads organizing it just enough so right, yeah, right. This, you can flow with this. Just yeah, go with yeah. it. So oh, yeah. now I, I thought that was worth you know digressing into because there are a lot of aspiring writers out there who do have small children and all that. Oh thing. yeah, absolutely. But but I want to go with Mr. Gaines over here because he has a whole different situation. He has one of the great battlers for freedom living under his roof, and how do you get your work done? while the Mary, wars for righteousness are being waged around you. Oh, well, that's my my wife is wonderful with just getting all the way out of my way. And in fact, and in fact, she is um, a great assistance in the fight against the procrastination monster, because I will meander around into the kitchen or I will go and she will politely redirect me back into the basement. Um, where yes, go, go royalty checks, go get those checks. Um, so that's, that's not really an issue. You know, I, I find the, the, the thing that sort of works for me, I mean, I, I'm a slave to deadlines all the time. And sometimes deadlines are just impossible. I mean, they, they're seemingly impossible. I mean, you know, they a contract will make you do the impossible sometimes. But, um, but what I find is you just have to find a way to sort of get started. Um, and sometimes to me, that's just like a thought exercise. Like sometimes I will... I'll say, okay, look, I'm going to, I know that this anecdote, I know really well, and I'm just going to write this anecdote. Um, and and maybe I'm going to write it over like five, par- like five pages. Like I'm going to, I'm going to really, I'm going to get as atmospheric as I can. I'm going to write it really long. So I feel like I've written something, right? Like, I feel like I've really written something, but it's really just a way to sort of like get, get you into the the flow of it a little bit Um, into the work. Yeah. Into the work. Or, or sometimes I will think about like what, you know, looking at an anecdote from a different lens. What if it wasn't, you know, this character's perspective? What if it was, you know, and I'm using, I'm using character, even though it's not, you know, primarily nonfiction that I write, but they're all still characters. I mean, they're all still a part of a story that you're trying to tell. So Sometimes it's maybe I'll I'll experiment with writing this from someone else's point of view or trying to emphasize something differently. Um, so it's it's tough. I mean, the procrastination monster is real, um, <laughs> and 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 it's a beast. 
But I think just trying to um, find ways to make some sort of progress. I mean, I guess the other thing too, you know, I, I, don't, I can't listen to music too much when I'm working. I get too distracted. Um, but I do find that stopping and perhaps reading um, an article or, you know, reading fiction, frankly, is a good way to sort of just get that storytelling mm -hmm. uh, muscle going again and activating mm -hmm. that. And so I find that to be really helpful if I can find something short to read. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the middle of the session, I got to just step away, blast some high intense, you know, energy music, you know, whether it's Aerosmith or Prince or this or that, Temptations, something to get the blood pull up and then back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, not playing music during the writing, uh, do you play music, and we'll kind of, this is right before we go into the beginning, middle, and end. Do you play music uh, to prep, you know, like if you're working on something? I, I do character playlists, you mm -hmm. know, what this character cool. will listen to or that character, and I'll be walking somewhere or whatever or doing something, listening to that and trying to get into that character's mind. Do you do music for uh, like a poem you're writing or a short uh, kid story you're writing or for a project? You know, is it like the soundtrack to Pee Wee Herman's Playhouse? What, you know, uh, uh, songs of the 1600s for Alex. Um, what <laughs> Parts of course, greatest hits, I think. Like the, the <laughs> No. <laughs> what do you do? I mean, does, does hey, music some play really a, a part? Music during the play. You know, come on. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll take that really quick. So for me, really quickly, I, I do find that music helps when I have like a score. If I'm writing about something specifically, so... I wrote something, um, a book on E.T., which is not out yet, but that is... Um, but once, but as I was working on that, like listening to that music was something that certainly helped. Like uh, the soundtrack? The soundtrack, yeah, was something that helped. Um, and I find also, oh, there was something else that you said, Chris, that I wanted to respond to you. Um, How was that? Oh, oh, you know what? What's funny, though, is that not so much when I'm writing, but I find that when I'm um, directing shows, I also will will make playlists. So like when I did Dream Girls, I made I listened to music all the time from girl groups of the '60s and right. Motown sure, and all of sure, that. Like sure. like immersing myself in that mm -hmm. space, um, I find to be really really helpful. Cool. Uh, Tony and then Alex. <clears throat> yeah, I mean I, I'm I have music going all the time um, because of because of Jillian. Uh, you know sometimes I will hear. The Sonic the Hedgehog theme song, UK version, <laughs> dubstep, dubstep remix, 30, 30 times in a row, you know, um, sure. you know, sometimes, and then sometimes um, it'll be, you know, play, play, it'll, it's, a, there's a lot of uh, music that she likes. So I think sometimes when I'm listening to music um, myself, if it's a, if I have a creative project, if I'm writing music, then, you know, I can throw on beats. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll, I'll throw on uh, something just to inspire me. Uh, and, and for me, hip hop will inspire me with what, whatever I'm writing, whatever it is I'm writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it is the, um, you know, what, whatever the, the craft moves are, how the stories are told. Um, but yeah, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm actually writing, it ha I, I don't listen to lyrics, except for like right now, I have a playlist after Trayvon Martin was killed. I started a playlist 
with all music that reflected uh, the situation and how I felt about the situation. And unfortunately, I have taken that playlist out a lot over the years and I just continue to add to it. And so right now, you know, even when I went back into writing uh, I'm Jack, I'm Black, I was listening to that playlist a lot because that's what that's what put me into the space for writing that back in 2012. And so as I was doing the illustrations and, you know, that's that's one exception of a time that I, I really have lyrics in my head because it was a part of. And, you know, that book is very simple. So it's just, you know, a few sentences, a sentence on each page. Um, so that was something that I that I needed for myself. But other than that, um, I'm list. I, it has to be instrumental. It has to be jazz. It, it can be chill hop. It'll be classical. Um, and I, it, it's a vibe. You know what I mean? It, it, it has to be a vibe that relaxes me. And um, that was one of the problems that when I would go into Starbucks is they would have their Starbucks list going and it would kill me because it was, you know, like pop jams and, you know, it was really just like disrupting me. So I had to turn up my, I hope I didn't damage my hearing because I had to turn up my own music so loud um, and tune the world out. Uh, so, yeah, so that's, that's where the music comes in right. for me. Alex? Music, I mean, music actually has always been my inspiration. And without going into uh, a whole lot of private life stuff, I found that I hit a period in some years back where I was I was in a situation where I couldn't play a lot of the music that I was really into. That that you know, some of it was old stuff, you know, like the lute. Uh, you know, but some of it was was you know, stuff from I, you know, growing up that meant something. Certain songs remind you of a specific moment in time or a specific place or sometimes even people that, that whether it's tragic or, or wonderful, it, it brings you back there. So a lot of that music I wasn't able to play. I wasn't able to listen to. And I, I felt my, my, my creativity shrinking. I felt you know like I was closing off to the world, like I was desensitized. And so I, I, went, through that, I went through that period for a while. And when I came out of it, uh, thank goodness, I said, I will never do that to myself again. And so I say that music has its place to either sometimes get the get the, the machine going, sometimes to help you remember an era. Like, you know, I, Blackjack takes place in the 30s. So a lot of times I will play music from that era. Mm. Especially, especially when, um, you know, I'm thinking about a nightclub scene or I'm thinking about something that, you know, a performance you may have seen or something like that. Bring that mood in. It also affects sometimes the body language of a character, you know? So again, I use it that way. I think, I think really the only, the only point I would make here is I think, yes, absolutely, music is important. I think be aware of the kind of music you're listening to if it's counter to what you're trying to create. You know, I think you should allow yourself to move in the direction of the universe you're trying to create, whatever it needs to help fill that, inspire that, get you in the right mood and feel and energy, do that. And then you can come back to your world, uh, you know, however that may be established yeah. for you. Be conscious of the why. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk, oh, gentlemen and gentlemen, let's yeah, talk about- say, When did the ladies show up? Yeah. Listen, <laughs> we have a wide and varied audience. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right, so yeah. let's talk about beginnings. Um, are they tough? What's the challenges? What's advice? 
How do you get the beginnings? Should you sweat the beginnings? Do you arrive at the beginnings late in the process? What happens? Um, I'm thinking. I'm thinking we're going with the Tony Jackson. I knew it. Yes. Good. Yes. Go there. Go there. Go there. Um, (laughs) I feel. I I feel like for me, my beginnings will either come. if if an idea smacks me in the face and the beginning is 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 right there, um, then whether it's a song, whether it's a story, um, whatever it is, uh, I feel like there are occasions where I can I can jump on that and I can I can lay down the beginning. But I feel like often the ideas that I get aren't necessarily um, aren't de- the the beginning isn't developed. So I will I will draw out everything else that's that's going to happen or just what the what the feeling is it, it, might, it might even start with a feeling you know here's the feeling of this poem that's captured in one line and that line might be in the middle it might be at the end and sometimes that will take me to how the be you know where the beginning is going to come from um especially with um with a song or a poem that's going to be spoken where i have to do a different kind of thinking about what that first line is going to be in order to engage the audience. So do I, do I want this to be a question? Do I want this to be something that is high energy that, you know, that gives people uh, that the, the mood is set so they can take in the rest of it um, with, uh, with, with books and with, and with stories. Um, I, that's a struggle for me, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I, I haven't figured out yet. Um, I have, I've, I've worked it out the way that I needed to for the, when I've written stories and written books, but I don't have a particular way that, that works the same way. So I'm, I'm interested in hearing from all of you. Well, I'll tell you again, it's the index cards for me. And then I say, I'll have a beginning, but it doesn't become the beginning until at least maybe the third rewrite and that Mm. kind of stuff. And as a matter of fact, uh, city of woe, had a chapter one for the longest time that is now chapter two because it just it and i was several rewrites in before it dawned on me that i needed to do something else um and it's just serve the story whatever it takes um what do you think cassine would should we go to you or should we go to alex um you can go to me it's fine it's i have to write chronologically. It's very hard for me to sort of bounce around what I'm writing and um, writing beginnings is really hard for me, but I find that once I, once I sort of turn that corner, the rest sort of flows for me. Like it's, it's really, it's just hard turning that rusty spigot, you know, in the beginning. Um, rusty. In fact, interesting. Interesting yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, well, well, thank you, Alice. <laughs> and, I, and I say that because it's funny. You know, every every project, every every book, I guess that I've written, I think, has started off. And like, I've been adamant. I've been so certain about what the beginning scene is for every um, project, and it never ends up being what it what it is by the time I'm done. And so, a, a really good example is. Um, and it's not always like intuitive, I, I don't think. You know, the Back to the Future book starts in an editing room. And um, so when, for those who don't know, Back to the Future, they shot for six weeks with Eric Stoltz as Marty McFly, the part that Michael J. Fox plays in the movie. And so the 
the book actually starts with them. Um, the editors on that film were very proactive and they had cut together just on their own. It wasn't even an assignment. They had cut together about 25 minutes of the footage of the film in a really, really, really rough beginning, middle and end. And they showed it to the director, Robert Zemeckis, and they, they called him in and um, Zemeckis just sits there silently. And after the footage is up, he gets up and, and leaves. And they said, oh, you know, what do you, what do you think about it? And he goes, you know, something's not working. And, you know, starting a, a book about the making of a movie, um, number one, six weeks into production, not starting it with, they had this idea and whatever, you know. Um, but basically it was, this is the moment where they really started making the movie because the movie that they were making for that first six weeks wasn't the movie that they ended up making. And so how did we get to that point and where did we go from there? Seemed like a good starting off point. Um, the other thing in the in the project that I'm currently working on, and the beginning might change again, so I, I'm not going to commit to what the beginning is, but I had started it. Um, there's this really important event in the lives of these characters where they all knew this one person named James Reese Europe, who was this um, army hero, and he was a band leader. And one of his, his big sort of claim to fame was he was going to unionize all of these black musicians. And he, he actually did it. He kind of unionized all these black musicians that were the creme de la creme in the United States. And um, he was going to have them play the homes of millionaires and get them top dollar. This was back in like, you know, 1914, 1915. So it's, it's really early. Um, he ends up being murdered and in, in 1919, and uh, immediately after he's murdered, he actually says to one of the main characters of, of my book, um, you know, you've got to carry on. Um, you've got to carry on. Now, he was talking specifically about he literally was killed in the intermission of a show that they were doing. And so he meant you've got to carry on with the show. But one of my main characters said, you know, I, I felt like I have to carry on with his mission of of, you know, doing doing the work and, and, and uplifting, you know, black music to the masses. Um, so I was I was uh, struggling with the book a little bit. And my agent had me speak to another writer who sometimes struggles. And we had a little group therapy session. And she said, well, is, is there a reason why you're starting with this? And I said, well, it was sort of a pivotal moment. And she said, but you're writing about a, a musical comedy and you're starting it with a murder. You know, don't you think <laughs> it's a little, don't you think it's a little heavy? And I said, well, but it's, it was a pivotal. And she goes, yeah, but it, it, it doesn't really seem like it fits the tone of what you're writing. You're writing about the roaring 20s and jazz and booze and, and why are you starting there? And so now um, her advice, which I'm, I'm practicing, we'll see if it ends up sticking, but her advice was, uh, even if you feel like you're doing something serious, don't be afraid of finding the humor. In, in what you, uh, you know, in serious things. Sure. You, you yeah. can never go wrong with humor. And so right now, again, we'll see if it materializes that way, but right now the book starts with a, a much funnier anecdote um, and, and we'll see if it, if it goes, you know, if it sticks that way. Mm -hmm. I get it. But again, that's serving the story. Yeah, I get it. Alex? Um, what you were saying, I, I often, again, when I talk to my students and sometimes just fellow writers, I talk about Richard Pryor. Richard Pryor, as we all know, you know, had, had a colorful life, uh, and one of his hobbies was, was drugs, and he burned himself pretty badly. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Burned himself pretty badly. And when he recovered from that, which took some time, 
he, the, one of the shows he did, a live show he did, was live from the Sunset Strip. And mm -hmm. I talk about, I saw the movie. I didn't get to see him perform it live, but I saw the movie. And he does this opening routine about what it was like being in the burn unit for the first few days leading up to eventually his first chemical bath, you know. And he talks about this orderly, oh, go on, Mr. Pryor, we're going to take a bath, Mr. Pryor. Two more days, we're going to take a bath, Mr. Pryor. And he, he plays this goofy situation. It's hysterical. And, you know, in the movie theater, it's packed. People are laughing because he's, he's painting this orderly as this goofy, enthusiastic, young black guy. You can't wait to get Richard Pryor in the bath. Look, go Mr. Pryor. And he takes us along that journey. And he's got us laughing and then brings us to the day where he's wheeled down the hallway to that room where they have this big round metal bathtub with the, you know, this gentle chemicals, you know, bubbling in there. And they're going to ease him into this thing. And he's got us laughing, laughing, laughing until he slides into that. And then he talks about the pain. Mm -hmm. The serious pain and how he realized what he had done to his body. Mm. And the audience in the theater, myself included, could not back away from that. Because he had pulled us with comedy. We were totally open. We were vulnerable. We were right with him. And then he hit us with that reality. And it was, damn. And like, you, you know, why didn't I go for coffee or, or popcorn or something? <laughs> you know, but that's right. Sometimes humor is a spy that gets inside and then reveals the secret. And, and, and you know, so you can, you can definitely use it. But what you were saying reminded me of that. Um, I forgot, what was the question no, I, we were talking about beginnings, and you yes. did a great anecdote about a beginning using Richard Pryor. Here you go. Good. Um, See, I knew I... You, you want to use... Leave it at that? That's cool. We'll, we can move on. Yeah, we can. We were talking about... That. I, I, we have talking a, about I have a million stories, and, and this is our show. I'll be back. <laughs> so, you were talking about Pryor's great pain, and it's time... That's a great transition for us to talk about the great pain of the middle. Mm. Some call it the de the desert... You know the uh, the land of lost souls, right? <laughs> because we kind of know, and as we've all talked about changing our beginnings, but we kind of know how it begins. And most of us know how we want to how we want to stick the ending, right? Where we want to land, you know. But getting there and mm -hmm. and making, you know. And I, I want to remind everybody: your first draft is telling yourself the story. And in rewrites is when you're getting the story ready for outside. So we're, we're taking that for granted. But okay, how do we get through that long, you know, crawl through the middle? How do you do it? Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go with Alex first. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. No, um, he looked worried. So, yeah, you know. I, yeah, I looked worried. <laughs> so you figured, let me hit the vulnerable one first. Uh, I don't know. I'm so old. I can't remember. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's 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 wild. Um, I practice what I preach, and I preach to my students this thing: when you get lost like that, when you suddenly find yourself the blind man in the in the dark room. Uh, it's because you've, you've forgotten who you're with. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who those characters are. You don't, you don't know what they're going to do or say because you don't know them. And so I always go back to who's going through this and, and, and how would they react? And, and sometimes just on the fictional information that I have built in terms of their background, their personalities and all that, that gets me 
forward. Other times, the other trick I use and I also share is ask yourself, how would this go in real life? Because a lot of times that's what we're doing. We're reflecting life. Even if it's in a fantastic scenario, if it's in another world or another, you know, aliens or, or monsters or, or whatever, we're reflecting life. We are, even, even with Scooby-Doo, you know, we're taking some humanistic characteristics and, and circumstances and we're putting in this fantastic, outrageous situation. So I, I sometimes will ask myself, you know, I get in a situation with a character who's, who's trapped, who's surrounded, uh, who maybe doesn't see a way out, you know, whether that's dramatic or physical, and I, and I don't know what the next move should be, how he or she is going to get out of this. And I will say, okay, how would this go in real life? If a real human being were going through this right now, what would they do? What would they feel? What would they say? Right. And sometimes just playing that scenario, I'll go, oh, oh, and, and I'll move forward with that. And sometimes that's absolutely the right answer, or it's simply the lockpick. It's right. the thing that gets you moving forward again, and then you explore and you find your way out of that. Yep. So that's, that's um, my methodology. I, I cheat. Uh, I do. Uh, I uh, am a big believer in this uh, biographical uh, questionnaire. It has something like 138 or 158 questions at this point. I don't always write down the answer for each one, for each character, but I'll go through those questions um, thinking about a character and get to know that person right down to their bank account and you know childhood memories and this and that and that help really helps strengthen knowing how a character will respond one way or the other and then the index cards are the other cheat you know because i've walked around and thought about and thought about and just written down possible ideas for scenes and i've amassed so many and then kind of whittled down from that a working structure you've kind of gone through the middle before you start writing. So those are good two cheats for you. And then, you know, the rest is if you can't, you go to the next card and just get that first draft done, you know, and, and let it suck and, you know, rewrite to improve and all that sort of stuff. So those are my three hacks for that or whatever you want to call it. Uh, let's go with, uh, we'll go with poetry and then nonfiction. Tony Jackson. Hey. Now Tony's gonna go to children's story and say, "Yeah, hell with you." Man. <laughs> All right. I had this teacher. He used to say, "No." <laughs> well, I, I I will say I, I love the middle. I love I love that. Um, I love getting in, getting into it and 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 getting that part to work. And and that's what I did differently uh, with the last project um, with my children's book and um, really sketched it out. A, 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 an author illustrator friend of mine taught me about pagination, which I hadn't, um, I just hadn't done. And it, and it, it is that process of, you know, breaking out the index cards and, you know, I, I was able to say, okay, on this page, this is what's happening. And, oh, it, it changed my world. It changed my world. And, and it, I see it in the way that I write, uh, songs. I see it in the way that I write poems because it's similar to what I did there, but I, I wasn't thinking about my books in the same way. But it, it made so much sense because when I'm in the in the middle, I'm constantly thinking, um, where is this taking me? I'm constantly thinking, where where is this going? And whether it's uh, a line, I may think of something that's really witty, or you know, really works some words and, and plays with words, but 
if it's not going to go anywhere, if, if it's only there because it entertains me, uh, like you say, if it's not serving the story, then I, you know, I can, I can do without that. And so what these, what these cards do, um, as, as you mentioned, those, those cards show me everything that is, that is going to serve the story. Everything that needs to be there is there. And then, uh, and then I'm able to work within those pieces and I'm able to go into the character, uh, and I'm able to go into those thoughts and I'm able to say, you know, what is, what is, what is the feeling here? Um, now that I'm in the middle, what is this going to take me? That's taking me to the next page. Um, and it, it, it is something that I have to do now. It's the first time that I've done it this way, but now every time I think of a new idea, this is what, this is what's in my brain. It's in my brain and it's, it's being fleshed out that way. Um, so, so you are holding up an index card with both illustration and words on it. So yeah. sketch, write, draw, get those ideas down. That's cool. I love that it's index cards. And, and the, and the other piece was the, uh, the color scheme for the, for the illustrations, which cool. th this particular book was going to be, uh, watercolor. And as I was, uh, as I was creating the paintings and, you know, blue, like 10 days, you know, and hours upon hours upon hours doing those, I, uh, I suddenly started thinking about how that message was getting across. And I felt like, you know, where is it taking me? I, I knew it, it just, it clicked that, um, since the, the way that I was talking about, I was, I was using silhouettes and, um, it needed to be cut paper. Um, and that was what took me, that's what took me from each page to the next. It took me, it took me from the characters into the setting and back and forth. Um, and so, yeah, so be, being able to, to flesh it out, even if I didn't have all of the words, uh, being able to see what I was looking for and kind of have the story stitched together. That was what helped. That's beautiful. All right. Now, uh, Kasim, for nonfiction, one of the things you're doing is a ton of interviews. Mm. So you wind up with so much. It, it reminds me of like a director who shot so many scenes and then you have to cut it all together. How do you how do you work the middle of that? What it what, Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's over for three days. And when I come to, I hope that's helpful, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, that's our episode. I, I, have a card, I just throw them in the air and I just pick up some and I just, <laughs> um, you know, it, I have to honestly say it's different for each, for each project, you know? And I think one of the things that I, I, I know I have certain crutches that I fall back on that I need to work to get over. One of the things that I'm, um, when I get lazy, I'll use the word lazy. When I get lazy, I fall very quickly into the um, like fake peril. You know, it'll be like, you know, and, uh, and then Chris asked a question and no one knew how to respond. You know, and it's like, well, it's it's not that it's not that serious. You know, like you know, the the, the peril doesn't have to be that. You know, um, so I think trying to trust, you know, it's um, it's all about like gradation is the word that I'm sort of thinking about. Like, what anecdotes need to um, be lived in for longer? Um, what sorts of things need dialogue and need actual quotes? Um, and what sorts of things can you just sort of 
breeze by because while the story is important enough to include, it's really just a vehicle to get you to the next thing or it's or it's expository. It's not um, analysis or something like that. Um, and a, a good and sometimes I find myself stuck by like self-imposed rules that I think are valuable. But like an example is for the Back to the Future book that I wrote. Um, I really felt very strongly that all of the quotes in the book should be quotes that I organically obtained. So if I was quoting Michael J. Fox's biography, um, I, I I wasn't going to actually pull a quote from that. I might just quickly, you know, exp- paraphrase the scenario. Um, but that 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 puts different rules on you. You know, um, you find that oftentimes people tell the same story different ways. Um, so maybe in an interview. You know, so-and-so, Christopher Lloyd, told me a story a certain way, but he might have told, you know, Entertainment Tonight 30 years ago the same story a little bit differently or with different anecdotes and different color. And so a lot of it is sort of playing um, arbitrator in that regard. So it's it's a little bit challenging. And it's it's funny, actually, because, again, I'm going back to this, this beginning um, of, of the project that I'm currently working on, but... It's it's a version of an oft-told anecdote, um, but there was something very specifically different about the version that, you know, the, the specific interview that I'm using as the basis of this particular telling of this anecdote that I think significantly changes the story, actually, in a way that's really interesting. And so a lot of it is, is um, me playing the mediator and trying to figure out what's important, what isn't, what serves the story as I'm trying to sort of tell it. Um, and it's it's a challenge. It's something that, it, and also trying to write an entertaining book where like the, the chapter drops off and you've got to turn to the next page to see what's happening, you know? Um, in the world of nonfiction, very often the person who's picked up your book has some idea of the story, has some idea of at least how it ends, has some idea of, you know, if you're picking up a book on Lincoln, you know how that story ends. Um, but it's not it's not so much um, the ending, but how can you make that roller coaster interesting for someone before they get to the conclusion that they know is coming? And, and even sometimes the way you tell that final moment could illuminate an aspect of it that hasn't been touched on before. You know, sometimes that reveal is is purely in terms of the point of view that you approach it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's just something else as writers. Oh, Chris, you're yes. muted. Oh, no, there you are. Yes? Speak, Chris? We were doing so wonderfully there. <laughs> Tony is now gonna is now gonna co-host. Uh. Fifty-nine twenty. I'll have to try and find that and cut it out later. All right, yeah, let's just end the show without Chris. What the heck? Yeah. <laughs> I'll dub him in later. <laughs> oh wow! I'm sure he'll be right back in. Yeah, he he will. I wonder if his his earphones. Uh, that's what I'm thinking. Have died. Yeah, yeah. Have that's died. That's my guess. Yeah. I've never actually used those. Um, Buds? 
Yeah, we normally don't do two hours back to back, and and actually it's three because of the half hours of trying to figure things out. Oh, yeah. sure, sure. So yeah, so that might have been it that his, his uh, buds died. I tell you what, I, I, you. I'm 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 so excited to write, y'all. I'm I'm like super excited to um get to, off this thing. Take and go. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh, wait, Chris is Chris is locked first. out. Um, I'm trying to get Chris to. Oh, here he is. All right, CR. Well, that was very weird. There we it go. Announced, it announced to me that the call had ended, and uh, I didn't see us having that. Um, so now we're still in the middle. Right. <laughs> Alex, I was checking. Thank you, sir. Um, oh, where did he go? I'm right here. There you go. Back. Okay, cool. Uh, um, Alex, we were checking. to. You got to speak about the middle, yes? Yes, I did. All right. So we want to talk about endings, how we get to them, how we arrive at them, how many endings we wind up having before we chose or choose, oh, this is the one. What do you got to say? Me? Or... Uh, I think Chris. I think Chris should go first this time. Yes, I think that's right. Good, good call. Good call. Go for it. Um, well, again, I I lean on the index cards, you know, and I have walked around with the characters. I've gone shopping with the characters. I've, you know, pet the dog with the characters. I've eaten dinner, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and I've played around, not to the degree that Joyce Carol Oates does with, you know, reading the story through in my head. So I have a ending. Um, and I let that be the first draft, knowing that then the, the dictates of the story may change that. I like to I like to know where I want them to end up. But then sometimes the questions of the stories will adjust that. Mm. So, you know, once I have the index card idea for an ending that's fine and that's enough to move forward but then it's i, I am i am religiously um uh faithful to serving the story if if it screams for something different then then fine and i and the worst thing you can do is shoehorn in a first idea you know so that's where i am for that um can i can i piggyback on that Go for oh, it, please. That I, I just I feel like uh, I feel like you were you were speaking for me right there. Uh, I, I think that is that is where um, when I look when I look for the ending, there's tons of ways that uh, tons of things that come to me as the story as I'm working on the middle. Um, and I think that as much as I rewrite beginnings, as much as I will you know will wrap my brain over um, what's best, it's working through the middle that takes me to what the right ending is supposed to be. And I'm, I'm never so hung up on an ending, um, that, you know, that I, I second guess, like you're saying, Chris, trusting what happened in the story to bring that ending about. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, and it's, it's sometimes working on that middle, whether it's the dialogue, whether it's, uh, different turns, whatever it is that, that I'm, that I, I know needs to be there those things are taking me, those things are showing me where this needs to go. And, you know, sometimes it will be where I thought, but other times it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something different. And as long as it is, as long as it makes sense within, you know, what, what was trying to be said and, and what exists in this world, then I'm okay with it. Yeah. yeah. I think the scene should be uh, next. Um, the scene should be next. That's what, that's what I heard. <laughs> I mean, I, I, 
echo what both of you are saying. I mean, this is really, really lame, but um, the, the reality is, you know, I, I find the ending actually to come really easily because I write chronologically and I often don't really know. The ending takes on the tone of the journey, right? You know, and, and the story sort of dictates how it needs, what's, what's in, the important takeaway isn't always clear to me in the beginning. Um, I know what's interesting, but sometimes there is something that emerges as more significant than interesting, if I can make that distinction. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, and so I, I find that the endings sort of write themselves in a weird sort of way. Um, I've never really sweat the ending all that much. Um, and sometimes you have to mess around with the contours of it. But for me, the getting started is significantly harder than, than tying it up. Yeah. And the ending always feels kind of like roll, uh, going fast down a hill towards the finish line. Well, it's funny. I always feel like it's it's like the 4th of July fireworks where, you know, you always have the spectacle, but then at the very end, you just sort of have the pop, 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 you know, like, the, and, and I, you know, these are the, these are the things I want to make sure that you've, you've taken away from this and right. you kind of get that in and couch it in a way that doesn't feel like you're saying, hey, reader, make sure you got this, you know? We'll address, uh, we'll address that a, a little bit more in rewrite, which is the next and final question. But let's get those here, what Alex has to say. So I'll just say quickly, because most of you have said anything that I would have, and I don't know why I'm here. No, uh, it, I, I would say for me, the, the, the one or the trickiest thing about the endings for me is the emotions. Um, whether it's subtle or jubilant, or, or oppressive, you know, depending on the ending of the story, if something's been learned and it's a burden to carry on or whatever, uh, I always I always have to feel like, yes, that was it, that was it. I have to feel it. It's not even so much reading it, oh, it's not, but when I get that, yeah, okay, it is, it is ended, it is over. Then I walk away from it. Now, granted, yeah, I will do what, what Chris and I have talked about for, you know, Many episodes, you go away from it for a few days, you come back, back, you still see if, if it still works. But in going into that ending, even if I've set stuff up and I've followed it along and I've written in sequence, which I don't always do, um, that ending has to feel right at the end for me. And then I can, I can only hope that it works for the audience. So that's, that's like one of, you know, one of the mindsets that I do. Wow. And then it that brings us to the, the final section for today, and that's uh, the idea of rewrites. And, and that's really where, you know, this thing that we have worked on takes shape and becomes what we share with the public. Uh, what can you talk about? What can you say? What can you advise as far as rewrites are concerned? What are your goals? What are your challenges? What are your secret little tricks that help? Sounds like a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, you know, it, it, it could be, but uh, let's, um, where are we going to go? I say Tony again. Let's go, Tony. Let's yeah. go, Tony. Yes. All right. Uh, uh, so rewriting. Um, yeah, you know, as a, as a teacher, I feel like one of the, one of the most challenging parts to, uh, to teach, uh, for, for me anyway, in my class, with my fourth graders, is, is revision. And I feel like a lot of what we've discussed uh, earlier on in terms of the, the beginnings, the middles, the end, um, a, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of my students 
come with a story and there are they're thinking that the end is the end and they're thinking that the end of the story is the end of the process and so a, a big piece of it is when we are when we're reading different stories and when we're studying different authors uh, being able to have those discussions about where this ending might have come from how else could this have ended and talking with them through their own ideas that same way um, for me I feel like I rewrite uh, I rewrite a lot and over a, over a, a long period of time um, I I'm, I'm really curious once you all start talking about this because when you're talking about rewriting are you are you talking about instances where an editor has said has, has requested a, a rewrite or are you you know is it more the case that for yourself you feel like something just has oh please <laughs> well, whenever you're ready um i just want to jump on that because uh, my experience is, is changing right mm -hmm. as i begin to work with editors and um and i i've done a lot of research and a lot of uh, reading of how-to books and a lot of stuff to to and conferences and all that and my biggest takeaway is that there's a series of rewrites, right? Now with the editors, the first thing I do is write to editorial requirement, right? So if they have uh, an issue or they're saying this needs to be cut, uh, I go through that first. Um, if there's an overall editorial suggestion, like uh, go through it and, and look for words that you repeat. That'll be like a second round or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, and then um, there might be one more for whatever other big requirement is. And then the last one is uh, the Dix, Dickens, Dixonian, Dixonian, Dickensonian. Will be the Dickensian model where I read it out loud mm. as if I'm getting paid a lot of money to read it to an audience. So I'm doing my best performance of it. And the rule of thumb is anything you stumble at, and especially if you stumble at it twice, you need to look at it, mm. you know? And um, there you go. By the way, uh, we just got a compliment from Tim Fielder, who had listened to Seconds Left to Live, and only Seconds Left, less, uh, left to Live, and, uh, and likes it, likes it. So that's cool. So do you, Tony, do you speak out loud? Because a lot of your stuff is performance, ultimately. Yes. Do you? At what point does that kick in for you? You know what? It's that's an interesting question. Um, I now that I think about it, I think I think every stage of the process. I think I'm I'm constantly uh, speaking it out loud to myself. Um, whether and that's you know in every every format, whether it's a song, uh, whether it's a poem, whether it's a book, um, because as, as you know, especially as a I, I want to say especially as a, a writer of children's books, but you know apparently that that's not necessarily uh, unique, right, to, to children's literature. I'm so used to reading the books to my students and reading books to my students, so it's something that I'm 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 always going to do. I'm I'm very performative in that aspect. Um, but yeah, you know, hearing hearing the way that you described. Um, yourself and, and then the, the Kinseyan mode right you know that that makes a lot of sense that makes a, it makes a lot of sense it's it's not just something that belongs in a, a reading circle in an elementary school where my you know my students are around me yeah. um yeah wow and and I'll put K 
character inflections in, which lead me, leads me directly to definitely. And, and it'll lead me right to Cassine because I want to know if he spoke like Pee Wee Herman and like, you know, <laughs> uh, Chris Malloyd and stuff while he was writing. How do you do it? How do you do edits there, Cassine? <laughs> Don't worry, we're going to save Scooby Doo for Alex. Yeah. <laughs> we want Chris Malloyd and Scooby Doo. Scooby Doo's voice. <laughs> Um, uh, no, I did not. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. That's wild. It's a weird question. <laughs> um, do, you, do you use more of a journalistic voice when you're uh, going through it or? I think what, I, what I've gotten so much better at and I struggled with for a really long time was um, allowing myself to have a voice. You know, I felt like I was, wow. I was writing uh, I was writing a history, you know, I was writing, it, it was a, it was a fun history. It was a silly, it was a history of something silly, but I was going to write a really serious book about Pee Wee Herman, you know, and, um, and I, I had to learn to live in, uh, colloquialisms. I've had to learn to live in, um, conversational tone. I've had to learn to, that it doesn't diminish the work. Um, mm. you know, it, look, Writing is about communicating, right? And if you are um, putting up barriers to tell your story or communicate, you have to evaluate whether or not you're doing that um, uh, for a reason, you know, for a just reason, for a good reason, besides just trying to make yourself sound smart or important. Um, and so that's something that I think I've gotten a lot better with, and it's really helping out with this current project that I'm working on. Um, and the other thing... Two, I do read out loud. Um, I find actually, this goes back to the procrastination monster question a little bit, is that when I get really stuck, I find that stopping and going back to something that I've previously written and working on that is excellent. Um, I, I abuse commas. I write these long sprawling sentences that always can be broken up. Um, I find that there's always room for me to cut, always you know, no matter what. And so um, sometimes just as an exercise, I will say like, I'm going to find a word, at least one word to cut in every single sentence, you know, and that will be something that, that I will, I will do as just a, an exercise. Um, Have you learned that it's thrilling to edit? I'm, I'm, it's again, wonderful. I'm to be really thrilled to cut my own words. <laughs> it's, it's my favorite, it's my favorite thing to do. And, and I, I do it because Again, it's a part of the process. And, you know, I've had to learn in working with a bunch of different editors that um, you have to really trust that everyone is on the same team. No, no one is trying to get you to sabotage your own work. Um, if you wrote something and it's very clear to you, but someone else it isn't clear to, then was it as clear as you thought it was? Right. Um, you know, and so um, I. Again, I think I think we we talked either this time or last time um, about picking your battles and and learning how to um, learning how to make choices. Um, there have been a few cases where I've had to go back to an editor and say, you know, I really feel kind of strongly about keeping this, or let me explain to you where I was coming from, and maybe we can find a way to circle this square where, where you know, we're both happy with it and it makes sense. Um, but I find actually that the more I write, the more those, those times are few and far between. And the things that I think are so 
sacrosanct are, are not, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I find the value of killing your darlings, you know? In City of Woe, the, uh, uh, the big dramatic climax, I, dis- I decided that we're going to do this dramatic, you know, uh, slash cut. And how I was going to do that in prose was we're going to do M dash and go to the next thing. And each of them was going to be a different camera angle. And boom, 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 boom. And we got to this you know, very, very well-respected editor. And she looked at it and said, what the hell? <laughs> she says, a period will work just fine, right? So I really had to, oh, check your ego at the door and get the work done. Yeah. But it was that that moment absolutely worth the price of admission. Yeah. I, I have to jump in because you guys said several things. Uh, that it's your turn anyway. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll wait. No. Uh, it threw me back in time to the 1980s uh, when I was working on my Sherlock Holmes play. And it was, it was a remarkable experience for me in a lot of ways. And so I will start by saying everything that you live through, every experience you have, filters into your art in some way, shape, or form. I was a kid who constantly mimicked things I saw on television or, or if I heard people talking and something and something about my ear, I would pick up these little things and I would immediately mimic them. And I, it, never, it never crossed my mind that anything other than it was fun. So I'm working on the Sherlock Holmes play. It takes place in the 1880s. It takes place in London, which at that time in my life I had never been to. I watched scores of British films and foreign films for the fun of it. Didn't realize that I understood, at least at that point in my life, the difference between a proper English accent and a Cockney mm-hmm. and certain other little elements. And as I'm writing the characters, I'm identifying where they are, what's their social status. And I'm writing, the first time I wrote just to get the words out, but as I'm going through the rewrites, I am now speaking out loud as that character and choosing the words that fit. And several rewrites. And the greatest compliment that I received on that work was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe five, six years after, and maybe even longer, after I the play had been produced and all that, and off, off, off Broadway, guys. Don't, don't think big, you know, bigger times, but it was good. But anyway, I'm, I'm getting a reading of it in LA, and the actor playing Sherlock Holmes is an actual British actor whose father used to be a huge celebrity, Noel Coward, um, and he finishes the reading. And he comes to me and he says, you really nailed the accents perfectly. <laughs> and I thought, yes, yes, you know. That was a super move. Now, I will counter that with, I should have told the first one first, but never mind. That was the moment that I, I, I loved. There was a moment when we were casting the play and Actors had been out auditioning in, you know, on the, on the outer waiting area, and they came in, and there was this one young woman, and, and most of the characters, except for three characters in the play, most of the characters were white. So there's three black actors. This one blonde-haired, uh, blue-eyed young woman, lady comes in, and the stage manager, or he was our assistant at the point, is introducing her to the director, and, and here's the playwright. And she almost dropped the manuscript. She sees me. She, Oh, you, you wrote this? And I'm thinking, were I another kind of black man, I would be saying something right now. <laughs> yeah. I said, yes, I did. She said, oh, it's, it's, I mean, it's so, um, it's, uh, um, yeah. I said, would you like to audition now? <laughs> you 
And I know somewhere in her head she's going, I blew this. Damn it. You're right. But the, the whole thing, again, is she saw this play. She read those lines and, and assumed before she walked into that room. And when she saw who actually created it, it completely threw her. Yeah. And then the Noel, Cow Noel, Noel Harrison, rather, Noel Harrison thing, where he sees it, he's played it, and he has to come and tell me, you nailed it. Mm -hmm. So doing the work is worth it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That reaction is, you got that reaction, or I got those reactions because I did the work. Right. And, and we, have to understand, we have to understand that it's, it's a process, right? Yeah. Uh, one of the drafts, uh, one of the characters I have in City Wall has an accent, and the editor said, mm, you could turn that up a little more. You know, so I did a lot of research and I got all the different jargon. And um, she points out, you know, this last chapter, she goes, this sentence, I know you're working on the accent, but nobody who doesn't live in that neighborhood knows what that guy is saying. I mean, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing it. But, yeah. You know, you I have to I had to dial it all back. Cause yeah. I got too into doing it. And, and I, we're just saying it for the writers out there that it is a process. Sometimes it's under, sometimes it's over, and then you get to mm -hmm. hopefully the right one. It's like seasoning. Um, it's like seasoning a meal. Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. So we've all talked about uh, rewriting. Let's go for one last round. Advice for um, getting butt in chair and getting the discipline of continuing to create. Alex, what do you got to say? I say that we all borrow Kasim's wife. Because she, she wow. get wow. him, sit down wow. and take right. care of business. I'm, I'm leaving that one alone. No, oh, you know wow. exactly what I'm saying. I got, that was a clean <laughs> remark. Thank you very much. No, I, I think that if you don't have somebody who supports you that way and says, you know, sweetie, I love you, but get your butt downstairs and get the job done. If you don't have that for you, then you have to be that person. And hopefully what, you know, for me, it's, uh, and, and again, please, folks, it's still a works in progress. I screw up sometimes, but the work is important to me. My reputation is important to me. And I see being able to do creative projects, particularly, you know, professionally, but whether you do it just for the love of the art or you do it professionally, the privilege of being a creative and being able to actually create something out of nothing should not be spit upon. You know, we, we have been blessed. We've been blessed with this. Honor it. So get the work done. Get your butt in there. And if, if you can't do more, then dedicate 20 minutes a day to your art, to your assignment. Do that. And it can be, you know, organized. It can be sequential. Or it can be the moment that I'm inspired to, to write about now. Here's scene six. I, I can see that. Let me do scene six, even though I haven't written three and four. Let me, let me at least get it down. So that you've done something, and each day that you do something, you've chipped away at it a little bit more, and suddenly one day, there it all is in front of you, and then you can begin the real fun, the rewrites. That's fun, too. Uh, how about uh, the mighty Tony Jackson? Mighty T. I like that. Oh, I might have to use that. Uh, I, I say... Um, I say find your space and take your time. You know, if, if the space that you're in is not conducive for whatever reason, um, it, it may not be something that you can do with the regularity that you want, but I think that it's important that you 
uh, find the space that works for you. And you know, the, in the same vein that Alice was saying, even if you have 20 minutes a day, um, you don't have to have uh, a special office. You know, you don't have to whatever wherever it is that you can go, um, find your space and and take your time. Again, um, you know, in in the in the sense of not rushing yourself, but also in the sense of you know your your time is your time is yours, and often you have a lot of priorities that may be taking those hours away. You may be watching them disappear, uh, but make it a priority. You know, if if it is something that is that important to you, then you can find a way to to prioritize it. Again, it, it doesn't have to be you know my my entire day. I have friends who will take you know five to five to nine. And, and, you know, I, I don't have that luxury, but I, I do take the time that I can. And that lets the idea know that it, that I'm serious about it. Yeah. You're here. Mm. You're Index cards are very mobile. You can always have them in your pocket. You can write on the line, you know, a checkout line. You can write, you know, while you're, while you're waiting, you know, just for a moment, boom, 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 in between classes, whatever. And then you slowly do it. The idea is to make some progress each day and embrace the idea that it is a process, right? So every little bit that you do is, you know, that's creative, you know? It's, and it's not about you, it's not about your glory, it's not about a million dollar contract. You're there because you, you know, the spark is here and you wanna create and, and you serve that, you serve the poem, serve the story, serve the uh, biography, whatever. You know, serve the audience as best you can. Make the best, yeah. So ultimately, for someone else, it's for the community, not for us. Mr. Gaines, sir. Tony also likes to write on paper plates. I just want to let. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say that, but go, that's. Or does he just go straight across? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna just let that sit there. But that is, a, that is a fact. Um, so. <laughs> Harder to put those in your back pocket, though. <laughs> For me, I, I think, you know, as succinctly as I can, remembering why you wanted to write in the first place, what it is that you wanted to say. And um, number two would be acknowledging that not every word that you write, that you speak is going to be um, sun-kissed. <laughs> you know, it's it's right. going it's, it's okay to have some duds. It's okay to, to just get it out and then go back and, and pretty it up or throw it away. That's fine, too. Um, and, and I think especially if you are in a situation where you have a, you know, you're blessed to have a deadline, you're blessed to have a contract, you're blessed to have a work for hire situation, you know, someone entrusted you to tell that story for a reason, um, you know, nonfiction. And even when I pitch an article or something like that, it's, it's unique in that I don't have a finished work. I have a, a comprehensive outline. I have an idea, but it's not fully written yet. It's not like a novel that fully exists. And there was clearly enough in that idea where someone said, okay, great, you, I can entrust you to let it ruminate, you know, in your head and, and produce something. And so um, when imposter syndrome sets in, mm. and procrastination sets in, when you start going, how in the world am I tasked to write about this thing? Um, even if it isn't totally clear to you, um, and it isn't always clear to me, but someone, it was clear to someone. Um, and so trying to tap into that, I think it's, is a worthwhile exercise. I, I now have a quote from you, Cassine. 
Not not every word is a sun-kissed raisin. Some are milk duds. <laughs> How about that? I'm going to put How that on a T-shirt. Put on a plate. All right, Alex, uh, can you take us home, sir? I Well, I already said my piece, but I'll be happy to say again in rounding this off that this is absolutely, folks, what we've shared with you today is a, a wonderful overview of the reality of the creative process. I think that, uh, thank you, everybody, Tony and, and Cassine and, and Chris, and of course myself, uh, because literally we all do it, and, and each one of us has our own unique little approaches and our, our genres and all of that, but we've all come to the same understanding that this is a journey, and we'll have highs and lows with it, we'll come up with things that are gonna be wonderful, and we'll have situations where we will start crying. But the reality is, it is something we're all, we're all driven to do. I think we were all set, sent here to do this. And I think if you feel that way about your art, then you should definitely give yourself permission to do that. Give yourself time to do that. And give the gift of your art to others to enjoy. Damn. And that's how you tell the damn, damn story. Uh, again. Thanks again, Cassine Gaines, Tony Jackson, Alex Simmons. I'm Chris Ryan. We are halfway through our special How to Tell the Damn Story Summer Series. Two more spots. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again. Go there, go right, go tell your story. Peace.